everyone. This podcast is brought to you by Global Shop Solutions ERP Software. Simplify your manufacturing by scheduling a demo at globalshopsolutions.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast, the podcast of the highest ceiling. I'm your host, Bryce Hendricks, joined always by the great Cooper Klein and the wonderful Stone Hansen. And the next in our series of guests, uh, someone who we had on last year, Doc Pelicans. We're very excited to have him back, the great Shamit Dua at Fear the Brown on Twitter. Um, he's a contributor for Fruit Crew Media. Uh, I said that too fast. Boot Crew Media. Uh, he writes for Bourbon Street Shots, and, and he's also the host of the In the Know, that's in O, pod. Uh, so a lot of great work out there. And also uh, one of the better draft minds out there who uh, I love chopping it up with about drafts. So Shemit, my friend, how you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate the gracious intro. I don't consider myself one of the better draft minds, but I'm, I'm glad that, that that's the regard I'm being held in. Um, just a, a draft fan. That's that's what I like to call myself. Yeah, uh, I, I I like I like the stuff you do when you talk about the draft. I think um, you bring good insight, and we've been in a couple like mock drafts together. Like we said, we had you on last year, and and I think we're in a big group chat together. All four of us is as uh, often or in uh, often as we might check that. Um, before we get into the Pelicans themselves, Coopstone, my friends, how you doing? Doing well. Um, been a busy day of just grinding tape, but excited to break it up a bit talking Pelicans. Um, and one of the more interesting teams with the amount of assets and stuff they have. So it should be a good one. Yeah, we were going over it earlier. Uh, just the amount of random cool guys that the Pelicans have is really fun. Uh, you know, this is as much as they are a conference rival of the Rockets. Uh, I think this is going to be a really fun episode to dig deep into. Yeah, Coop will have to put his Rockets bias aside, though. I, I feel like there's no hard feelings between the the Rockets the and only, the Pelicans. The, the only hard feelings I have is that the Pelicans hate Eric Gordon. Uh and and I despise them for that eternally. They have good reason to hate Eric Gordon. So <laughs> you can't you would hate him too if, if he did <laughs> what he did. So uh, it's okay. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll let that pass. That's that's hilarious. Um I, yeah, I I'm I'm surprised any team uh like really, really hates the Pelicans except for maybe the Suns at at this point. But uh you know I think the Pelican season is kind of an interesting one to discuss um, in totality. Obviously, Zion did not play a minute, and yet this team still, you know, maybe exceeded expectations. You know, if you were to tell people that he wouldn't play, Brendan Ingram had another very solid season, especially down the end. They traded for CJ McCollum halfway through, and he was a big boost. They got a lot of um, solid contributions from their young guys, just a lot of uh, really, really fun and funky um, stuff happened with the Pelicans this year. So, Shamit, how would you kind of describe the Pelicans season as a whole? An emotional roller coaster, that's for sure. Um, they started off 1-12, and and right off the get that Zion was announced to have foot surgery, and they said he was going to be ready for the beginning of the regular season. And as we all know, that didn't happen. And then very soon into the start of the season, Brandon Ingram got hurt, and that led to kind of their 1-12 and start. And people were wondering, well, this is now the worst team in the league. Where are they going to go from here? And uh, obviously rumors about Zion's future started, and then that leads to what are the future? What is the future of the Pelicans in New Orleans and all that kind of talk? And But Willie Green and, and coaching staff held, um, held fast. They trusted – some of their younger guys to develop they when they got Brandon Ingram back they were able to kind of steady the fort uh, Jonas was huge for the Pelicans all year I mean you think he was the most consistent steady presence um, hardly missed any time and he was a big part of stabilizing that rocky start and, and then once they got Brandon back they started winning games because they were finally able to uh, score they they were a decent defensive team in large part thanks to Herb Jones um, at the beginning of the year and uh, they just couldn't score. They couldn't get the ball in the hoop and getting Brandon back changed that both from a playmaking standpoint and an individual scoring standpoint. And then we all know they made, they made a trade for, for CJ McCollum and that added another scoring punch, which was kind of what they were missing in Zion. And obviously no one's going to mistake CJ for the level of scorer that Zion is, but it helped enough for the Pelicans to make a, a significant push and eventually make the playoffs. Yeah. And, and I definitely think that that end of the, the season push, of course, with the two play in wins is, is pretty huge. Um, you know, and, and it's hard to determine, you know, how much do you really take away with that? Like over the course of one week, we went from, you know, they're not getting their first round pick. Like it's going to be the Blazers and, 
And, uh, you know, are the Blazers going to trade that for Jeremy Grant and that type of stuff that's going on. And then a week later, after two big wins, it's it's they're going up against the Suns. And they gave us the Suns a run for their money, really put up one of the better fights I've seen from an eight seed against a one. Um, I split their their kind of team into three building blocks. It was sort of that top three guys, uh, the team that's currently kind of built around them and then maybe guys with some potential who haven't quite proven themselves at the NBA level yet. So starting with that top group, it's, it's Zion, Brandon Ingram and CJ. Uh, if you wanted to throw Jonas in there, you could, I still think like when it comes playoff winning time, like true untouchable core type pieces, these are the three you're looking at. Schmidt, what do you think of that, of that trio, how they fit together and, and what their upside might be and their future with the team? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you nailed it with with those three. That's going to be the Pelicans, quote unquote, big three, and and I think they fit really well um, on the court. So you have players who are unselfish. They move the ball. They're all plus play, playmakers for their position, in my opinion. Um, with Brandon and CJ, you got enough shot versatility uh, from three, and then from the mid range and self creation to where they can really play on the ball, off the ball, and then Zion who the Pelicans discovered is actually pretty solid when you put the ball in his hands and turn him into a, a jumbo initiator. And they called it point Zion, but you know, it's really Zion deciding every single time that I'm just going to score and I can do it at will <laughs> and no one can stop me. And, you know, and when they do throw four bodies at him, he can kick out and he makes the reads uh, pretty nicely. And, and so those three, I think, are going to be the foundation of this team going forward. And, and I do want to add a fourth guy who I think the Pelicans hold in that regard now and, 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 and will for the, um, for the future. And that's, that's Herb Jones. I think Herb Jones has um, crashed his way into that conversation. Um, and in fact, you know, he's stolen his way into that conversation uh, just with his outstanding defense and, and versatility on that end. And um, he's just an incredibly smart player who can bring lineups together on, on both ends. And they ask so much for him or from him as a rookie in terms of who to defend and how to defend them and, and all of that. It's, it's remarkable. It's one of the best rookie defenders I've seen in, in a long time. And um, so I would absolutely consider him a building block in the sense where if a team comes calling Herb Jones is not on the table. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Herb Jones was just, I mean, I was someone, I was high on him. I had him in, with the first round grade, but uh, I did not expect this. I think what's really special is that he is like maybe the most, versatile wing defender in the league already like I, I think of guys like McCall Bridges or Devin Vassell who I thought were like really high level wing defensive prospects those were guys who I thought were mostly off-ball guys who I want roaming making plays that's like Matisse Thibel too is like that like Herb can do that but then he can also do you know I, I always point to OG and Anobi as like the best ISO defender he can do that and he can guard you know one through through four and even some fives like on the ball too at like a really good level he's strong and long and tall like he's just he, it's 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 almost fascinating just how good at so many different things he is um that does transition me to sort of that the next tier of guys and and you don't have to hit on any of these guys individually but more about the idea of what building around that core looks like they got Devonte graham in a sign and trade last year that was um, I, I, I think he had an up and down season. I think maybe there was a bit more expected from him, but just kind of proved in the end, like just can't really play in the playoffs against a lot of teams. He's going to get hunted. Um, Jose Alvarado stepped up in his place uh, in, in the playoffs and looked pretty good, but of course also has his own inconsistencies, was an undrafted rookie. Jonas Valanciunas, who you mentioned, really great presence in the middle, but again, not really on the court at the end of games in the playoffs. And then Larry Nance Jr., who... Um, has some injury issues, but was on the was on the court uh, at the end of games and playoff situations. So, what do you think of, of the current sort of build around that core, and, and what do you think it should look like going forward? Yeah, so I think uh, you mentioned Jonas. He's going to be a big part of the team, one way or another. Um, just you need a presence like him to get you through the regular season, and and he's going to win you games just out of his sheer tenacity on the glass. And, and just the physicality he brings in the post. And so when you look at the Pelicans kind of projected starting five and you look at this front court with Zion and Jonas, there is no good answer to that. You're going to want to put your biggest player on Zion 
Um, and then you're going to leave Jonas to feast on a smaller guy on the, in the post or on the offensive glass. And then if you're going to put a smaller guy on Zion, it's the same issue. And then I just think that he's going to be a big part of what this team is going to do moving forward. And, and I think you're right. Um, in a lot of matchups, Jonas is not who you want on the court at the end of games in the playoffs, but you need 82 game guys as well. And I think Jonas is one of the best or better 82 game guys in the league right now, especially for his contract. And he was, like I mentioned earlier, it just was a big part of studying the Pelicans um, after the Rocky start. Uh, I don't think Devontae Graham uh, has a long-term future on this team. I think he, if he makes it past this offseason, he'll look better next to Zion, who's able to create cleaner looks for him and make him more of a catch-and-shoot uh, player. And, you know, prior to coming to the Pelicans, he was above 40% on his catch-and-shoots. And that was kind of the attraction um, in terms of signing him and bringing in, him in. I think he's serviceable as the backup point guard. I don't think he, you know, I think one thing people forget that he he was a positive player this year. Um, he did play, play a role in the Pelicans not uh, completely letting go of the rope after their 1-12 start. He, he was a studying presence as a vet. He did his job. I mean, was he asked to do too much? Absolutely. Do you want him as a starter uh, in, in defending starting guards? Absolutely not. Um, but you know, as, as a bench guy, I think he's fine. And, um, but I, you know, I, I'd be curious to see how long he lasts just because you mentioned Jose Alvarado's right there, who is a more tenacious defender. Um, I think he has room for improvement on offense, but just an absolute fan favorite. And then there's Kyra Lewis, who we haven't really talked about yet. And, and his future is a little bit unclear at the moment because he's coming back from injury and he's going to take some time. And I think the Pelicans have the flexibility to give him all the time he needs to come back from that injury. But you know, when, when you kind of look at those guard positions, it seems like Devontae is going to be this odd man out. And then lastly, you mentioned Larry Nance Jr., who the Pelicans uh, barely got to see in the sense, like they traded for him. He was coming, but he got a procedure done for his meniscus. He was out for six weeks and then he came back towards the tail end of the season. It was really just kind of ramping up and catching his wind and, and just being able to function on the court without injuring himself again. And he, he hasn't had any kind of training camp. He hasn't um, really had time to integrate himself with the team and yet he was closing games and played a, a big role in some of the in one of the playing games and then a couple of the playoff games where you know he again just a presence who is versatile can can switch uh, you know his switching ability might be a little bit overrated because Chris Paul was cooking him but um, perhaps you know perhaps a better option than Jonas there on the perimeter but it gives you the ability to play big or small and, and match up to other teams and, and I think, you know, with his contract being around like $9 million, he's at a very reasonable rate. And, and that's just the kind of, uh, again, a player that will carry you through the regular season, add nice depth to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those guys, I think, are, are the next people up. And, I, and again, I want to bump up one more person like I did the previous round is, is Trey Murphy is now solidly a part of that. And, and I think he's going to be... Um, a pivotal player this this coming season, especially when you have Zion Williamson on the court, you need shooting, and Trey is flat out the best shooter on the team. Um, I think he's going to again take a meaningful leap when when Zion is creating those looks for him. But also, he proved uh, toward the uh, tail stretch of the season that um, he makes winning plays. He he makes shots when when they matter the most, and and all the lineups with him on the court were just insanely positive towards the end of the year. Just because of the attention that he draws um, as a shooter. And if you leave him open, he's cashing it. And if you're putting a body on him, then that's just more room for the Pelican stars to play for or play in. Yeah. I, I mean, I love Trey Murphy, so I, I will not push back at all. And you putting him up there. I, I had him as a lottery guy last year. I thought he was a steal where they grabbed him. And um, I still think there's some room to develop. I, again, like, like I think the defense can be really, really high level once it sort of clicks for him. Um, so yeah, that just brings me to the sort of final tier of guys that we can go really quickly, but there's three young guys on this team who interest me, but I, I feel like they're kind of right now men without a country, uh, Najee Marshall, um, who I thought was a great undrafted find out of Xavier, but, um, definitely still struggles to shoot good defender, good passer, but it's tough to figure out exactly what his role is. I think 
maybe it could be like backup point guard type with wing size. But uh, again, that's sort of a high threshold. Jackson Hayes started some games uh, even into the playoffs as the four. Um, obviously awesome athlete started to shoot it a little bit um, still has some decision-making questions, but the athleticism is display is on display on both ends. And then Kyra Lewis, who I thought was a solid pick at, I, I believe 12 or 13 and, and just um, ha- has had a kind of a rough rookie year. And then, and then was just injured this past season. So if you just want to go really quickly through, like if you could even rank like who you think is, is most important to the Pelicans. Um, but at those three all interest me, even if I don't know exactly what their future with this team is. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the Pelicans making decisions on their roster and who to add or who to draft or who to trade for, I don't think they're going to, you know, take any of these guys into consideration or let them prevent them from making a move. Right. I think those, uh, as you accurately noted, they're kind of people without a country, uh, here, so to speak, with Najee, um, you know, he's, he's again, on a very, very good contract. He's got one of those rookie minimums after being a two-way. And so he's nice having around for the culture that the people like him, but he's a little bit of a wild card uh, offensively. And um, defensively, he absolutely has his moments. I think, he, you know, he can sometimes you need uh, a wing-sized body to go put on the opposing perimeter scorers and harass them. And, and Najee plays that role and takes pride in it. So, I think, you know, he sticks around basically because his, he's, he's being paid like the league minimum. And so there's not really any trade value for that. And uh, he brings more culturally and, and it just as like a, as a deaf body than, than anything else. So he doesn't have much value around the league. So the Pelicans don't really have incentive to trade him and think he'll just be around the team for a little bit. Um, with, with Jackson Hayes, he's super interesting because he's now reached – He's played three years. He's heading into his fourth year where he'll be a restricted free agent um, unless he gets an extension this offseason, which I think is unlikely. He's one of those. He's in those weird positions where it's like, okay, we've had you for three years. Ideally, we'd like to have seen a little more from you now so we can make a contract decision on you and and decide what our future is going to be. But that's kind of what this fourth year is for is to figure out, okay, where, where does this player stand? I think if I was Jackson and if I was his representation, I would focus very much on his his perimeter shooting because I think his future in the league is going to depend on how well he shoots it because he is a very good athlete he is surprisingly good on the perimeter and switches I think you can deploy him as a jumbo three and D uh, player and he can make a lot of schemes work if you want to switch one through five he's never I don't think going to be the the player that can match up against the the brutes of the of the world so like you match him up against the Jonas Valanciunas equivalent he's gonna get crushed you can match him against Steven Adams he's gonna get crushed um and so that's that's really not his game you want him to play in transition you want him to be a play finisher but if he's strictly a play finisher at the rim his value goes down significantly and he becomes a very circumstantial player and he needs a high level guard play to to assist him with that um and it also reduces his capacity to get minutes on the Pelicans where you just have so many people in that front court between Jonas, Zion, Brandon, Larry Nance. And then, you know, you're probably going to slide Trey and Herb in there at some point. Um, and so it's like, all right, Jackson, where, where do you fit in here? And if he shot threes, it'd be a lot easier to just not worry about what the positional designation is, because I do think you could put him on three, fours or fives on the perimeter and, and be fine with the outcome. I think he can, can adequately, defend those players as long as they're just not gonna um you know fold them in half like a like a chair but um so i i i would guess though he is one of those odd men out this season just like Devonte graham and is probably on the trade block um sooner rather than later and then kyra just he 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 had a pretty devastating knee injury i think it was not only the acl but it was like acl meniscus and like mcl i don't know it was like the trifecta it was like the bad trifecta it was everything in his knee just got got blown up so he's going to he's not going to be ready for for training camp from what i hear and so i think it's just a wait and see approach with him you just got to give him the time he needs um to heal and, and see where you go from there yeah and and i probably should i'd be remiss you mentioned rookie extension with jackson hayes i'd be remiss to not bring it up at least briefly with zion um there's obviously been some some questions about what he is like where he stands i feel like a lot of that is overblown do you think zion signs like a max rookie extension this offseason well i think the better question is what are the pelicans putting on the table because 
I think it's accurate to say they're not going to put the full five-year max that's fully guaranteed on the table. That I don't think that's happening. Um, I, I do think the, the dialogue from both sides is going to be to work towards a solution that allows him to earn up to that, right? You, you want to give him the possibility to earn up to those full five years, 186 million, including the, the Rose Rule All-NBA escalator. So if he hits All-NBA this season, you want him to be able to enter in that 30% max space rather than the 25 max space. Um, I think the contract's got to reflect that. So he's got to have that earning capacity, but it's also got to bake in some protections on the Pelicans end to where if, if Zion just is unable to play games, um, they, they got to cover themselves. And, and I think it's not unfair to ask, especially given um, how there's a precedent with Joel Embiid and, and, and Embiid played 31 games in his third year and, Zion's played 85 games in three years. Um, so it just all depends on, on what those protections look like and, and where, you know, if it ends up satisfying Zion on his representation. I think where, where one area that to haggle on is going to be that fifth-year player option. And I, if I'm the Pelicans, I don't want that option in there. And so maybe I give a little more on the guaranteed money side to, to get that option out of there. But maybe that's the compromise to make. It's like, all right, we have all this non-guaranteed money, but we'll give you the player option. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's fair. And, and and honestly, I'm not a huge contract guy. So I think I, I prefer to listen to smarter people talk about it. So um, I think I'll probably leave it at that. But something I do enjoy talking about, whether my knowledge base is actually good at it or not, is, is up for y'all to decide is trades. And the Pelicans are in an interesting spot because I think they really do want to win now. They have the eighth pick. They have the 41st pick. They have the 52nd pick. Um, there's a lot of potential sort of funk to be had here. It could be, it could look like a trade down. I've seen a couple scenarios with that. Um, Shemin, I'll throw this to you. Just what do you think the likelihood of like, if you had to pick like, you know, per, put, percent, put percentages on it, like a trade versus keep, and it could be trade down or, or whatever. And who are some targets they might be looking at if they were to trade the eighth pick? So I guess my question is, are we talking specifically with regards to their, their pick at eight right now, or just in general? So, I mean, like focusing on with eight at first. And then, I mean, cause my thing is with, with 41st or 52nd, and, and then obviously um, with the roster, it'll be always be kind of up the air, but 41 and 52, it's sort of like second rounders can always just kind of be bought and sold and all that. But with eight specifically in mind right now, do you think it gets dealt and, and, and who would some targets be? I would say at the moment, it's unlikely uh, that it gets dealt. I, I do think that they're pretty happy with the options that they might have on the table. However, if, if it does get dealt, I, I would look at OKC's um, you know, selection of picks, whether it's the 12th pick this year and or all the picks they have in the future years. Maybe that's a situation where like, OK, let's say that they were really keen on Dyson Daniels or Keegan Murray and those guys are off the board by eight and they're like well we don't really see much of a difference between Benedict Matherin and you know maybe there's there's uh um Usman Jang at 12 or whoever's at 12 maybe they're like we don't see a huge gap let's try to get off Devontae's Graham's contract create some cap space um get a get the 12th pick maybe get a future pick in the process um and and then you know to take our swing at at 12 that's kind of a scenario where I see uh, playing out the other unlikely scenario is um, maybe they look at Atlanta or they look at um, the Clippers don't have a pick here. You know, that's, that's OKC's pick this year. No, the Clippers don't have one. Um, yeah. So maybe they look at Atlanta and they're like, okay, well, is there a role player on your team that, that we can take and then move back. And then the guy that people keep bringing up is Kevin Herter. And I'm not a fan of that personally, just because I don't think there's minutes for, for Herter on this roster at the moment. But, you know, that, that, that's stuff that people bring up. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think where I'm at with this is that they probably do make the pick. And I think some of that is that I, I feel like there is just like one more piece you could add to this core and, and have it really kind of sing. It doesn't even have to be like a specific skill set, just like any wing or like, you know, two guard who, who does some funky stuff and could contribute. Like, I feel like this team, if they if they hit on this eighth pick, they're in a really good spot going forward. So that does take me to the eighth pick. Um, Coop, I'm going to throw this to you. There's a couple names, off, like there's a lot of names because this draft feels so flat after about five or six. You know, it really feels like the top five are, are probably more or less set, you know, maybe six. But then after that, it feels like it really opens up. But if you had to pick like 
one or two guys like most likely picks who who are you going with Ooh, most likely is kind of tough because like you said it's it's literally just absolute hell after the top six as far as mainstream goes uh i could see this being where dyson daniels goes uh just the defense the the versatility there the incredible touch uh can meld and sort of be that connector between your three four really really solid scoring options doesn't need the ball a ton uh, or can just bring the ball up and initiate different sets. Uh, and then the other guy I could see being the pick here is Johnny Davis. Uh, just a solid win now, some upside for later if the shot making comes along. Just an interesting, can scale back with certain lineups, but then also maybe scale up with the bench unit, act more as a de facto point guard, uh, whereas just be an off-ball shooter with the starters, more of a connector. I think he has that that skill set to really – just mesh really well with what the Pelicans have going on. I don't think that they need anybody else that is like going to initiate any offense, be a high level scorer. You have all those guys in theory on that team. You just need guys that can fill in the cracks really, really well uh, and, and support those guys, make their jobs easier. And I think Dyson and, and Johnny Davis do that really, really well in this range. Yeah. Uh, Shemit, uh, do you second either of those guys or, or is there anyone else that kind of stands out as like most realistic you think that the Pelicans would be in on? Yeah. So I, I'm a big fan of Dyson Daniels and completely agree with, with all the points that Coop brought up. I think just having that kind of uh, a connective piece that can can initiate some offense, but more, more importantly, get the ball to others while the stars are the ones that are creating advantages for others uh, is going to be someone that should be able to step in day one. And, and make an impact. And there's still a considerable amount of upside that Dyson has um, untapped, especially if you can work with Fred Vincent and get a shot right. Right. Um, so big, big, big fan of that. I'm a little bit lower on, on Johnny Davis, um, but I just certainly see, see him filling those same sort of roles. Right. So he can uh, initiate offense. Maybe you want him to take on a higher usage role um, off the bench, but you know, he's always going to give it his all on the defensive side. So just, again, um, having uh, a versatile perimeter piece is not a bad option in in, in any sense. Um, the other the other person, you know, I, I don't I'm not I don't think Keegan Murray is going to drop to eight, but I think the Pelicans would be very very happy if he did. Um, and then the option that I do think will be available at eight that will get looked at pretty hard is, is Jeremy Sohan um, from Baylor, where just his versatility and kind of like the okay he's he's a clay he's a ball of clay. And, and what are we going to turn him into? We we have a good track record of developing shooting um, from from prospects. You know, you look what they did with Herb Jones, so 66% free throw shooter for four years, and all of a sudden he's, he's 84% from the line. Um, same thing with Brandon Ingram, same thing with Lonzo. So I think if you believe in your development staff from that perspective, then, then a guy like Sohan makes a lot of sense because if you're able to play him in those small ball five situations, um, basically have him learn from Larry Nance and um, become a, a better version of him on the perimeter, then you're going to be in, in a really good spot. Yeah, uh, I think those are great names too. Uh, Sohan would be fascinating here, partially because I don't know. I mean, you 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 could do some funky stuff with with just the amount of length and, and size and potential defensive versatility here around your big three, which I think is important because that big three is not exactly stopping anyone. So you do need like a lot of options and versatility behind them, I think. So uh, I, I think that'd be an interesting pick. Two guys that stand out to me here, uh, Benedict Matherin is the first one. I just think Matherin feels like a really obvious, like we're at eight, there's no one we really love, but he's just he's just going to be a good NBA player. Uh, he can shoot, He can. he's super athletic, he can defend. He's not going to be a super high usage guy for them, I wouldn't think, but I, I think there's a lot to like there. Um, and then the other one, and this one is, is maybe I don't, I, I'd be interested to see, see where you're at with him on, with him submit, but Malachi Branham uh, feels like eight is, is not too high anymore. I've seen, um, I, I think this is about the top end of his range, but I think he could go here. Uh, and, and I don't know what he would look like here. I, I feel like you'd probably be breeding him to be eventually the CJ McCollum replacement type, but I, uh, you have to play the long game with him, you know, bring him off the bench at first, but he could be an interesting bet here if they don't love, I feel like he's sort of a, if they don't love anyone else who, or they don't think anyone's going to contribute immediately, take him, you can take your time with him, try and develop him. Um, so I, I think there's definitely some, some interesting stuff there. I also think that this could be like a sneaky reach for Ochai Baji. Um, 
uh, pick. I should, no, should. no, please, I, no, no. So, but look, um, I'm pretty. I feel pretty strongly about like you don't need a draft for win now players. I, I, I think, I think realistically, if if an NBA player is being drafted, if they're being drafted in the top ten, it's because the NBA decision makers have decided this player is ready for the NBA. So this idea that you know this, this someone's more win now than others, um, I don't really buy into that. I don't really think that's a really good way to predict who are going to be the people that are going to step in day one. You know, we examples like, I mean, you just look at last year, it's like Franz Wagner and, and Scotty Barnes, tremendous production. And they're what, 19, 18, 20. And then the people who, who expected like, all right, Corey Kisper is going to come in and just make shots day one. Ah, you know, I don't know. Davion Mitchell took some time to really get going. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's, it's a toss up and people who say like, Oh, I know for sure this guy's going to work day one. I, you know, I'm not a big fan of that. And I think at eight, you got to be going for upside. You, you can't draft based on need um, just because that the roster is going to look completely different by the time this player is going to be like getting real minutes. And, and so what your needs are today are probably not going to be your needs tomorrow. And, um, and again, I look at the Pelicans roster. I'm like, where, where are these minutes coming from um, for, for anybody, you know? And I think if you, had a top four pick, you'd have to create the space for those minutes. But with the eighth pick, or you know, if you're trading down, like I, I like Brandon. You brought Brandon a lot. I think that's a guy I would love to take at twelve if they trade back. And and you know, just I think his his shot creation's underrated. I buy his pull up shooting from the mid range. So I think he'll be able to extend um, out to out to three. And uh, you know, those those are guys that you're like, okay, he's probably not going to get minutes this season or meaningful ones. He's probably unless there's like significant injuries or he's really fucking good. Like he's just going to come in and be like the next Donovan Mitchell and, and just, you know, just steps in day one can like give you 20 a night. And, and those are unlikely scenarios and it's okay because I think the Pelicans are a team that can allow a prospect to grow at their own pace and they don't have to come in and save a franchise and they don't have to come in and, and, you know, all of a sudden the weight of the, the, franchise's features on their shoulders and oh they got to make the playoffs because that's kind of the situation with the kings every year right it's like a, a player's coming in you're expected to be good and and you're like oh shit like i, I have a lot of uh, pressure on me and i think prior you know prior to this season that was the case with the pelicans a lot and now they they have this great luxury of being a team that's good and can develop at their own pace kind of like how golden state you know did with kaminga and, and moody and it's like you know we don't need you guys to come in and, and be the game changer. You already had that. That's Steph. That's that's Dre. Um, you guys, you know, whatever you give us, we'll take. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And I'm with you that I think this would be, it would be a very, very bad pick to take Ochaik Baji, as I think all four of us do here. Um, but I, I just wanted to throw it out because I think it's a, however slight, it is maybe a possibility. Um, Stone, is there anyone that stands out to you that we haven't talked about as a potential guy at eight? Uh. Not really. Uh, I like AJ Griffin here. If he was here at eight, uh, I think that would be really cool. I think Shaden uh, could be here too, for what that's worth. Yeah, I would take AJ over Shaden if those two were still available, but I, I highly doubt both would still be available at eight. But um, I, I do think AJ makes a lot of sense here as uh, another shooter off the bench who I think has more off the dribble game than he was showing at Duke. Um, and I think the defense uh, – can come along in a meaningful way to where he's uh, not a liability on that end. Um, I uh, really like Dyson here. He's someone I've wanted on the Pelicans for a long time now. Uh, and I think uh, that he makes a lot of sense because of how scalable that he is. Um, he really can, I think, fit along any other four guys you put on the court with this roster uh, and, and be fine. Um, I, I really like what he's able to do as a connector, but also as a guy who I think can eventually be someone you can uh, look to as an initiator for stretches. So uh, I really would consider him here at eight if he's still available, but if AJ's there, it's becomes a lot tougher of a decision. I'd, I'd probably go AJ. Yeah, I definitely think that's fair. And that does bring me to dream picks. Um, so Schmidt, you're on the clock. You are David Griffin. You have the final say. Any sort of kind of realistic guy is on the board. Who's your selection at eight? Yeah, I think I think realistic reach is, is the Keegan Murray, right? I don't 
my I don't expect Jaden Ivy to fall to eight. So that I'm I'm leaving that off the table. That would be my real, real dream. But I think there's a scenario where, where Keegan Murray falls because if you know, let's say Ivy goes four, um, Sharp goes five, maybe uh, Dyson goes six, and then Duran goes seven, or let like, AJ Griffin goes seven. There might be a world where Keegan Murray falls to eight, and however unlikely it is, that's a dream, and I think the Pelicans would would uh, be very excited for that outcome. Um, yeah, I think that's the dream. Uh, Dyson is very close behind uh, for me in, in in that range. So those two are the ones I'm looking for. Yeah, I, I definitely think Keegan is maybe we probably under discussed that he probably could be here. It, it's unlikely. I think he goes top six. I don't think he falls past the Pacers, but I could see the Pacers and Pistons both selling themselves on someone who's, you know, quote unquote, higher upside Blazers trade out Pistons have another pick, take another guy. And then, and then uh, he, he's here at eight. Um, Coop, who would be your kind of dream selection here? I think my dream guy would be Dyson. Honestly, I think that would be a little bit of a reach on my board. But when I talked to myself through it, uh, I think he talked about not drafting for need, but I think he drafted he, like he really fits well. I think those are two very distinctly different things. Uh, just the way he fits with all your stars, he can fit with your bench guys, he can fit with your starters. Uh, you can run some incredible defensive stuff with him there. Uh, you don't need him like this really allows to cover up his weaknesses because he doesn't need to do a bunch of dribbling. He doesn't need to put a bunch of pressure on the rim because he's next to, you know, two of the greatest rim pressure players in the league in Zion and, and Jonas Valanciunas. And even if you lose one, you still got the other uh, and a bunch of other guys who can just score the ball at will. Uh, so I think that this is an ideal spot for both Dyson and the Pels. I think uh, just a heavenly fit. I think my, Realistic guys are also sort of my dream guys. So um, it definitely, I think, would be AJ and, and Dyson here, uh, whichever one of them were to fall. Uh, probably more likely Dyson. Um, and I think that uh, I, there's really no other reasons I can add to what's already been said, but uh, those two would be be my picks here. Yeah, mine is definitely AJ Griffin if he's here. Uh, I've mentioned I'm way higher on him than most. And he's, I think he sort of fits what Schmidt is talking about, where it's like you don't have to bring him in immediately to play. Um, I think he's sort of a, a kind of take your time with him, make sure he's healthy, make sure he's comfortable. But the talent is just really evident to me. I think um, as adding another potential off the dribble shot maker uh, next to this group, who's also an elite spot up guy, would just be really fascinating in this. Uh, again, you know, it's buying into offense, and I think, you know, you just have to trust guys like Herb Jones and and some other guys to fill in the cracks there, and then maybe eventually adding a, a real high-level defensive center, but I, I just think that, it, for me, like, the value is too good to pass up with him. That does take me to 41 and, and potentially 52 in UDFA. Uh, of course, 41 is what I would call a real pick. Uh, in the second round and then 52 is what I would call a fake pick in the second round where rarely are you taking a player you actually value at 52 you're probably going to get that guy more likely in UDFA um, as we saw last year with Jose Alvarado but sometimes you never know 41 is actually a place where you could get a, a realistic kind of value add in the second round um, and I think you know last year they got Herb Jones at 39 I want to say or it might have been 36 uh, I kind of get my nines and sixes Oh, 35. Oh, my bad then. Um, but, you know, in like it, he conceivably in this range. So, Schmidt, I'll throw this back to you. Uh, is there anyone you'd like to target at 41? It's, it's so fascinating because it's difficult to project how the, the board's going to shake out at this moment. Like I was looking at ESPN's newest uh, mock this morning and they had uh, J- Jalen Williams, the, the J.Y. Williams, not the, not the point guard out of uh, Santa Clara, um, the, the big, and, and he was there at 47 for them. I'm like that. If he's there at 47, I want him at 41. Um, you know, I think this is an area where you can play a little bit around with need because I, I kind of view second round picks as, as lotto tickets. And, um, and you can, you can go either direction. You're like, maybe you just take the best upside guy. But I think if you trust in a guy's skill set, you'd be like, all right, if we get him into our system and we put him in this role that we specifically designed for him, then maybe, um, you know, we can really do something here. I think Jalen gives you a little bit of both. I think he's young enough to where he has um, upside. And then he also puts, uh, he he also fills a need where I think the Pelicans long-term 
are going to need to find a replacement for Jonas Valanciunas um, and, and someone that can defend, someone that can rebound, someone. And, you know, he can he also shows some playmaking skill, too. So I think he's, he's a super fascinating uh, pick there. I've looked at a couple others, like Walker Kessler dropping there. I mean, I think that would be a shock. Um, that, that'd be someone. I'm looking at bigs, really, right now, just because I'm like, all right, well, I need to find some kind of long-term replacement for Jonas because if, uh, if I'm looking down the bench and, you know, if Jonas goes down for any period of time, what, what's there? It's like, okay, Jackson Hayes, and, uh, and then there's Billy Hernan Gomez, who is a, a complete pro's pro, but you don't want to, like, rely on it night in, night out. Um, and so, you know, I'm looking at those two guys, and, and then maybe there might be some some perimeter players that uh, that fall back. So, like, I'm looking at some of the wings. Like, you know, I like Justin Lewis a lot, um, but maybe he's there at 52. I, it's just so so difficult to predict. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think I think for the most part I'm looking at bigs at the moment. And But if, if there's just some, like, really good perimeter player that falls, like, we did a mock draft and, like, E.J. Liddell fell. And I'm like, how, how, how is that even happening? Like, I didn't even notice he fell because I was like, I saw Walker Kessel. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take him. And the next guy after we took E.J., I'm like, no, I can't believe I missed that. So it's just like I anticipate, you know, there to be at least, like, one drop. And you're like, oh, yeah, we, sh- we should snag this person up. I think I have some, like, weird picks there here, too. Like, I think I'm bigger on David Roddy than, I, on most, than, than most people are. Um, I kind of buy his funkiness. I buy his shot making. And um, I, I'm not as concerned about like what position he defends or plays so much because I think, you know, he's just going to be, he's going to come in and be a really good culture guy. And you can use him off the bench to just be a weirdo and get you buckets. <laughs> and, 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 and I like that. So I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Dave, David Wright at the most. And I don't know, maybe, maybe there's some guards that, that end up falling uh, that far. Some, some guards always slide and, and, um, I, I, I believe that, that, uh, Andrew Nemhard is probably going to be there, um, at 41. He's someone I think that could step in culturally just because like, he's a little bit, he's, he's a, you know, he's a four-year player. He's, um, played with other elite players and, and I think he knows how to like set the table and, and just slide in. But, um, yeah, I think mostly I'm looking at bigs here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that uh, the second round is a place where you can go to target a, a potential future need if there's someone you're really invested in. And I think backup big would be huge or, or maybe eventually starting big. Uh, Coop, I'll throw this to you. Uh, are there any guys in the second that make sense for you? Uh, you threw it to me with the bigs. Uh, Christian Coloco, the name that everybody knew I was going to talk about here. Uh, my favorite non-lotto big in the draft. Uh, just a machine knows what he's doing, does all the little big man stuff, quick off the floor, great hands. Uh, in a similar-ish vein, Ismail Kamagate. Uh, I think he's a little bit more raw, a lot less switchable, a little bit bigger. Uh, the post game is, is just <laughs> – it's, it's miles away. But, you know, there's a lot of flashes of random stuff. Like, oh, maybe he has a little bit of stretch. Maybe he has a little bit of this, and if there's a team that's going to get that, probably going to be the Pelicans. Uh, then if you're looking more to the perimeter, somebody like Alondez Williams out of Wake Forest, uh, if he, if he fell this far, I've, we've discussed, we have no idea where his range is, just more weird connectors that make sense on the Pelicans, but don't make sense on a lot of other teams. Uh, if Wendell, if, if either of the Moors were here, Wendell Moore or Tajay Moore, I think Tajay would be here at 51. Uh, <laughs> love getting the eye roll from Bryce. That's when I know I'm doing it right. Uh, I think Wendell Moore makes a lot of sense for this team, just can fill in the holes. What I talked about with Dyson, obviously to a lesser extent, he's a little bit smaller, more of a guard, can do some more ball handling stuff, but, uh, you know, can kind of fill in those gaps, connect, make the right passes. And then just real quick, Lester Quinones, if he stays in, just solid connector wing. Yeah, Stone, anyone stood out to you? Uh, the two guys that really stand out to me, they aren't bigs. Um, and if they were, I wouldn't be throwing out any names that haven't been said already, but, uh, I, I'm going to go Julian Champagne, I think is an interesting name here, uh, a forward who I think can add spacing and defend at least as an off ball guy to a decent level. Uh, I think he makes a lot of sense around a lot of the bigs that New Orleans currently has. Um, and then, uh, David Roddy, just a guy that I think, uh, one of the weirdest players probably in this class, but uh, on the Pelicans, I think they can make it make sense. So uh, he is 
somebody that turns fun into function uh, on the Pelicans. And I think that uh, they are a situation that can get the most out of him uh, in that regard. So those would probably be the two names that stand out to me. Yeah, the only other name I have um, is potentially Josh Minot if he's around here. I, again, I don't know exactly where he's going to go. And then actually I'll throw out to Peyton Watson. I think he's like, if you wanted like another bet at someone who maybe could be part kind of Herb Jones-like, I mean, Peyton Watson, I think kind of makes sense in that role for me. I think actually if he would have stayed in college and, and, and went to played for a, a more competent coach, I think could have developed along a similar path as Herb, I think he was always going to be one and done, but um, I think like in, in a couple of years, you can maybe have a potentially very versatile defender who can uh, slash a little bit and maybe shoot if things really work. So if he's there at 41, he's definitely got a promise from someone. I think he's, whether it be a two-way promise, a, a drafted top 50 promise or a first round promise, which would be really insane. Um, I think Peyton Watson is uh, going to be, you know, he's going to be around. Um, so those are the two that stand out for me. Uh, Schmidt, are there any other sort of um, targets that kind of pop out to you? Any any names we mentioned that you really like or, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, look, some of these guys are going to be ones where you just bring into your building for workouts and, and maybe they really pop and, and you're like, okay, uh, I can really work with this player. I can really work with a shot and maybe you have a, a pretty good development program for them where it's like, all right, maybe with Peyton Watson, you're like, you're going to spend the year in Birmingham and, and you're going to uh, defend every single position and then you're gonna get a ton of on-ball reps and you know we're just gonna see what happens um and it's kind of what how how toronto's used their their g league uh partner for for years right pascal spent time there fred spent time there um you know uh i think it was is malachi flynn has he, has he spent time there um but in, in any case they've gotten production and, and development out of their g league program for for a while now and if the Pelicans were to use that with selections 41 or 52 and, and some of these guys, you're like, hey, you know, our roster is full right now, but you go there, you can go be the man, but we have a, de a dedicated plan for you. And then you, you can come in anytime there's a break and uh, and also absorb from us. Then absolutely. Um, a, a couple of guys I really like in this draft, which are, are kind of in between the Pelican selection range are, are the other Jalen Williams, the Santa Clara one. Um, and, and, and Dalen Terry, who I think they're probably, you know, I think they're, I think they're definite reach at eight, but like maybe their high end is 12. And, and, you know, I think you could make an argument for like a team, like taking them at 12 and you're like, okay, I, I see what you're doing here. There's probably others that you would want to take before them, but you'd be like, all right, I, I see what you're doing here. And so that's where I'm looking at, like, if the Pelicans are trading back, maybe it's something where they trade with Charlotte. And Charlotte's got two picks, right? And and you get both those picks and, and you can play around with who you want in those situations. And, and if we're talking bigs and I have a pretty like strict, like I don't draft bigs in the lotto unless they have like outlier level skills in one way or another, particularly like perimeter skills. But the big I do like um, is, is Mark Williams. I, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of his feel uh, and obviously his measurables are fantastic. And I think he's going to be a solid player wherever he goes and just not someone I would take at eight, but it's just one of those like in between, um, you know, mid first round players. You're like, okay, well, if you end up with a pick in that range, you have some options and in, in, in options that I wouldn't mind. Yeah. And that's also, I mean, any excuse to do this, you mentioned Jalen Williams. I think he'd be great if they traded back to, to 12 or even 16. Um, uh, as you mentioned with the Hawks, I think Marjan Bochamp can make sense here too, as another just versatile defender who I think can shoot, um, good cutter, uh, just kind of, you know, continue to get some more athleticism on this team. Um, and then someone I, I should have mentioned if I, I think they really do value Larry Nance and what he could potentially bring and someone who I think could eventually fill that if, if Nance's knees continue to kind of go downhill would be Jabari Walker in the second round. Um, I think he's really good. I think he does a lot of kind of funky things, good things, and, and just contributes to winning at a high level. Um, before we get out of here, Schmidt, we like to ask our guests sort of like, what's your dream outcome? Like, like, like the, um, the, the Pelicans sort of, yeah, if they leave this draft with these two or three guys or they make this trade and you're going to give them an A++. Like, it's like your absolute dream. Uh, you couldn't be happier. 
841, 52, like I said, some sort of trade, if that's what you want. Just what's your dream outcome here? Man, the absolute dream, I, I mentioned it earlier, is if they, if, if Ivy starts falling beyond four and, and the Pelicans have an opportunity to move into five or six or wherever he's going to be to go grab him. Uh, I, I would love that. I, I don't know if that's the way the Pelicans are thinking. You know, I don't think, again, they don't have a, a tremendous need to like hemorrhage their assets at the moment because they can play this low game, but I would love that. I would be like, all right, you got, you got us like, in my opinion, one of the few players in the top five or, or, or top 10 that have like true, true star upside. And, and I, you know, I'm a big fan of this games, but beyond that, I think we've already kind of talked about it. Just um, I'm, I'm ha- very, very happy with, with Keegan Murray or Dyson Daniels. That's, that's my preference. If not, I am looking to trade down and um, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy with just about whoever they select um, in the 12 range, maybe not, maybe not okay. Um, but you know, I wouldn't complain as long as they got enough value on the trade moving down to where you're like, all right, cool. You're setting yourself up for the future. And, you know, you, you've had successes in, you know, finding players later in the draft, like, like Herb Jones and even Trey Murphy at 17 and, um, you know, Jose. So, okay. Like use your, use your scouting department, leverage that, and maybe, maybe just ext- continue to add assets and play the long game. Yeah, uh, I think I think that's a perfect way to end it. Uh, Shamit, again, we can't thank you enough. I'm a big fan of your work. Um, it was great to watch you cover this sort of up and down New Orleans season. And then, of course, um, the awesome way it kind of not obviously no season ends awesome unless you win a championship. But I feel like really encouraging way it, it ended this year. Um, so just plug yourself to your heart's content. Everything that Shamit mentions will be in the link to the uh, the link of this podcast description i can't speak right now i don't know why uh, but this has been great schmidt again can't thank you enough so just let the people know where they can find all your stuff yeah you can follow me at fear the brown on twitter i put out stuff um at boot crew media which is also where my podcast uh with my co-host mason ginsburg is hosted and the podcast is called in the know or in the no and yeah that's uh that's me yeah, perfect. Uh, again, can't thank Schmidt enough. Go follow him. Go follow all his stuff. Um, for Coop at Ellie underscore Oop underscore Coop. For Stone at Report underscore Court. For me at Bryce under 14. Give us a like, rating, review, all that fun stuff on your podcasting app of choice. This has been the Upside Swings NBA Draft Podcast. We hope we're ceiling. Thank you. We once again like to thank our sponsors at GlobalShopSolution.com. Simplify your manufacturing and schedule a demo today at GlobalShopSolutions.com. Thank you.